Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open back to the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. We're going to study the whole chapter together, but in just a moment, I'm going to read the first eight or so verses to you. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. If you're new to the Bible, uh, not too hard to find. Just open your Bible up to the very first book, and you'll find yourself in the book of Genesis. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay, because right there in the seat before you down in the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Uh, take that Bible and find Genesis 17 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. If you're new to Northwood, what we'd like to do is we'd like to take books of the Bible and just walk through books of the Bible and, and try to understand them and hear what God is saying to us uh, through these sacred books. And so we've been in Genesis now for um, quite a while, and we'll continue to be in Genesis for quite a while because we've got a long way to go. Uh, but it's been a, a fascinating journey. And what I love about walking through books of the Bible like this is that, that it, it exposes us uh, to stories and to truths uh, that we probably don't consider a lot. You, you probably I can't remember some of the last times you, you read some of these stories that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And so it's good for us to be exposed to the entire Word of God, and that's what we're committed to do here in the life of this church as we grow in our understanding of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, I'll read that to you in just a moment. Uh, I had a, uh, you know, a, a major um, event in my life this week that, that, that I, I, I knew you'd probably want to hear about. Um, I did it. I did it. I did it for the first time in like 14 months. You know what I did? Watch, I got a picture. I walked into a Chick-fil-A. Right? Praise the Lord. Now, I know, right? Right? I know, I know that some of the Chick-fil-A's in our area have opened, like at Tanger and at Dorchester. Some are still closed. Here's looking at you, Rivers Avenue. Come on. Um, and, uh, but the one in Goose Creek, the one in Goose Creek, it, it opened back up here recently. And I, I have a, a group of guys I meet with every Tuesday morning, real early in the morning. And before the pandemic, we would meet at Chick-fil-A every Tuesday morning, real early. And we haven't because of the pandemic. But now we walked into Chick-fil-A for the first time in about 14 months. And, and, I, and I can't tell you what that moment was like walking through those doors. I mean, I, I, I walked through and, and I heard it. I heard the angelic choir <laughs> singing as I walked through the doors, I mean, it, 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 was, it was just a great experience. You see, what happened was months ago, I don't know, five, six months ago, I began asking, you can ask my wife because uh, she's oftentimes with me in the car when we uh, drive through the Chick-fil-A and um, she knows that a lot of the employees there know me by name and it kind of freaks her out a little bit, but that's a different story. And so, so we were driving through and I just started asking, hey, when are you guys going to open the doors back up? When are you letting us in? And months ago, they, they told me that they were going to open the doors up the one in Goose Creek anyway, when they were done remodeling. Well, they were done remodeling several months ago and they, they hadn't opened back up yet. So I kept being pretty persistent. When are you going to open? When are you going to open? And, 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 and they said this, you know, time and time again, uh, Mr. Tommy, we promise, we promise we're going to open back up. And, 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 and I'll tell you what I felt like every time they, they told me they promised they were going to open back up their dine-in uh, eating experience. I felt like Abraham. 
right? I mean, just, just this promise and wondering if it was going to come to fruition. And then finally it did. This past week walked in. It was a great day. And I, and I tell you that to, to tell you this, that you know what it's like, every single one of you, you know what it's like to have a promise made to you. You know how a promise whether it's a promise of, of, of marriage, a promise of a, a child, a promise for a promotion, a promise for whatever, you know how a promise gives you hope. And, and every one of us, we've at one point in our life or another, we've held on to the hope of a promise. And you know what it feels like. Many of us know what it feels like when we see a promise actually fulfilled. When we see a promise come to fruition, we, we know the joy of a fulfilled promise. And on the flip side, you also know what it's like to have a promise made to you and then that promise not be kept. You know the pain of having, having a, a promise broken. And, and, and for all of us, we've probably made some promises that we've kept. And we've also probably made some promises that we've broken. But, but promises, man, they, they really are. Promises really are powerful, and you've experienced the power of a promise. Now, here we are in the book of Genesis, and if you think about it, the book of Genesis, and really the Bible for that matter, the entire Bible, is, is about a, a promise. We, we looked at that, this promise uh, over and over again in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where, where after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, God made a promise. He promised that someday there would come someone from the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. A promise for a future Messiah, Jesus. And so as we've walked through Genesis now for these these past few months, what we've been doing is we've been tracing the development of this promise. And now, now we come to, to Genesis chapter 17, and, and, and God is reaffirming to Abraham the promise he's made to him. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture. And, and just to be honest with you, in the time that we have, about 35, who am I kidding, 40 minutes or so, in, in the time that we have, we don't have time to get into all the details of chapter 17. It, it is rich, and, and maybe at some other point we'll walk through this and, and pay a little more attention to some of the details here, but I, I want to give you an overview of this chapter, and then I want you in the midst of your understanding of this chapter to understand for you the nature of God's promise promise to you. Because if you think about it, God has made you a lot of promises, hasn't he? He's made you the promise of life abundant and eternal. He's made the promise he's going to love you and never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised you that all of your sins are forgiven, that you will stand before him righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus. God has made you a bunch of promises. And I just want to remind you, that every promise God has made to you, it will come to fruition. And I tell you that because when you begin to understand that, that the promises of God will come to fruition in your life, man, that, that does give you hope. That does give you something to hold on to. And if we're real honest, when you begin to understand the promises of God, it begins to change your life, your perspective of life and how you live life. And, and so we see in Genesis chapter 17, and it's not the first time we see it, we see that the foundation of this promise that God has made with Abraham and with us is this idea of a covenant. Now, that's a word that you're probably familiar with because we use it in church. But, but you probably don't use that word a lot outside of church. 
And so I want us to, to step back this morning and, and look at this passage and, and try to understand what this idea of covenant means and why it's so important for you and me as we, be a, as we strive to be a people who live in light of the covenant promises of God. And I want to show you this morning from this text three truths about the covenant promises of God that you need to hold on to as you live for him. Take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the reading of God's word. This is a fascinating passage. We'll do our best to, 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 to get as deep into it as we can um, in the time that we have. Here we go. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence. Be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. It will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the God of promise. And everything you've promised us, you are going to bring to completion. So, Father, I pray this morning that, that, that if we've come into this room lacking hope, lacking joy, lacking peace, lacking assurance, that this morning as we are reminded of your promises to us, that, that we would be renewed in our hope, renewed in our peace, renewed in our joy, that we would cling to with our entire lives these promises you've made to us. So, Father, we're listening to your spirit now. Speak, and as you speak to us, help us to listen with hearts that are ready to obey and ready to follow you by faith. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now, we've journeyed through Abraham's life now to just a very quick recap. Remember that, that God has made this promise to Abraham. He's going to be the father of a great nation. He's going to have descendants, Genesis chapter 15, that outnumber the stars in the heavens. And this nation is going to be a blessing to all nations. And, and you understand, and Abraham follows God for an awfully long time. He's 99 years old by the time we get to Genesis chapter 17. And, and that promise that God has made to Abraham, it hasn't come to fulfillment yet. Abraham's tried to make the promise come to fruition. In fact, we, we just looked at the story last week where... Abraham and Sarah, they, they took matters into their own hands. And, and Sarah gave Abraham Hagar, her servant, and, and Abraham slept with her. And, and, and out of that relationship came a child, Ishmael. And, and, and Abraham's thinking that Ishmael, he must be the one. He must be the one that, that, that God is going to build a great nation through. But here we are in Genesis chapter 17. And Abraham, at this point, he's 99 years old. It's been 13 years or so uh, since Ishmael was born. And so for 13 years now, as now Ishmael is getting ready to enter into adulthood, Abraham has watched his child grow up. And there's been tension in the home, obviously, because you've got Hagar and you've got Sarah, you've got Abraham, and so that, that triangle and all the conflict that's there. But Abraham is, is convinced, Right? that Ishmael must be the one that God had promised. And it's interesting, isn't it? 
At 99 years old, God comes back to Abraham again. Wait a minute, Abraham. It's not what I promised. Ishmael is not the child of promise. And look what it says. This is really interesting. Let's look in the text. You come to verse one. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Now I want you in your Bible to go ahead and underline that phrase, that that way that God identifies himself. I am God Almighty. You've probably been to a Sunday school class before or have, you've had a preacher like me tell you that, 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 that name of God there, I am God Almighty. It's the name El Shaddai. You ever heard that before? El Shaddai. And, and this, this connotation that, that, that God is all powerful, that there is nothing that our God cannot do. God is the one who, who makes things possible about, out of what are seemingly impossible situations. And so Abraham needs to know as God comes back to Abraham yet again, Abraham needs to know that God is the God who is almighty. He is all powerful because what God is going to tell Abraham in this chapter in Abraham's mind and rightly so is absolutely unbelievable. And so so God tells Abraham, I am God almighty. And then you have it. Live in my presence. Be blameless. And here's the word again. I will set up my covenant. Go ahead and circle that word covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Now, if you think about it, and and again, we don't have all the time that we need to, to exhaust this subject, but this idea of covenant is central to our understanding of how God works out his promises in the Bible. If you think about it, now the word isn't used in Genesis chapter two, but but you have this idea of a covenant in the very beginning that God enters into a relationship, a covenant relationship with Adam and Eve. And then you have, when we get to Genesis chapter nine, we we saw this weeks ago, the actual word covenant used for the very first time. And you remember what happened in that passage after the flood, God puts his bow in the sky and he says, this is the sign of my covenant that I promise you I will never destroy the entire earth by flood again. I promise you. And now in Genesis chapter 15 and in Genesis chapter 17, we have this word covenant used again. But we're going to see this word covenant used yet again in scripture. For example, when you get to to Mount Sinai, that that God makes a covenant with the Hebrew people, or or think about this, when you you get to uh, King David, God is going to make a covenant with King David, right? He's going to tell David, there's going to be someone who sits on your throne as king forever. And that covenant promise was a, a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ, the one who is sitting on the throne of David even now. Or you think about when we get to the New Testament, right? When Jesus comes and He's there before the disciples at the Last Supper and he passes the cup and he says, this cup is the blood of my covenant. That you know this, that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our belief in his death and resurrection, we have entered into a covenant relationship with the God of all creation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are in a covenant relationship with God. What's a covenant? Well, you know this. And, and, in, and in ancient times, covenants were, were, were all over the place. I mean, it was very common for a, a great king to make a covenant with a lesser king. 
promising that lesser king that he would provide for that lesser king's kingdom protection and, and, and resources so that lesser kingdom would not be defeated by another kingdom. And in exchange for that protection, that lesser kingdom would do what? Pay a tribute, for example. Uh, sometimes there were covenants that were made between individuals. We looked at Genesis chapter 15 and I compared that to maybe a, a covenant that would be made between a, a, a man and, a, and another man where this man wants this man's daughter's hand in marriage. Or you think about all these different ways that covenants would have been made in ancient times. Abraham was familiar with this concept of covenant. You're familiar, you're more familiar with the concept of contract. I have a contract. You have, you have contracts. I have a, a mortgage contract, right? That, that, that I've agreed. I sign my name on the dotted line to, to pay my mortgage every month. And if I don't pay my mortgage every month, the bank's going to foreclose my house. Now, that's the way it works. And that's a contract. It's business. I mean, if you think about it, it's really nothing personal. It's just the nature of business. But when you think about the idea of covenant, it is personal. I mean, when you think about, about the, the God making a, a covenant with Abraham, it was relational. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And so God comes and he makes, in this chapter, he actually renews this covenant that he made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And if you think about it, if you think about it, this covenant is powerful. But look at what it says. Just, just real quickly, you come down and, and, and you see uh, some of the terms of the covenant. He says, no longer are you going to be Abram, you're going to be Abraham. Now, as we've gone through this series, I've been referring to Abraham as Abraham. But you know that before he was Abraham, he was Abram. You follow? And so now God is changing his name. You are the father of a multitude of nations. He ain't really the father of anything yet. That's who he's going to be. I promise you, Abraham, will make you extremely fruitful, verse 4, and, and kings are going to come from you. Kings. And that's going to happen. You're going to read later in the Old Testament where you have kings, the kings of Israel, and ultimately King Jesus going to come from the lineage of Abraham. Now, he's going to make a similar promise about Sarah when you get to chapters 15 and 16. He's going to change her name as well. Her name is going to be changed, and it means princess. Abraham and Sarah are going to be the father and mother, if you will, of a royal lineage, you see? This covenant is permanent. So you have it. The reestablishment in Genesis chapter 17 of this covenant that God makes or made with Abraham. Now, if you think about it, I just want you to think about this for just a moment. If you think about it, this covenant that God makes with Abraham, and this is good for you, this covenant that God makes with Abraham has some similarities to the covenant that God has made to you. Now, we're, we're a people who are under the covenant of Jesus Christ, the New Covenant, the New Testament, the Covenant of Grace. So, so there's some differences, but there's some similarities. And, and I want you to see this because I think this is helpful. God's covenant to you is gracious, right? It's initiated by God. You think about where we've been thus far in our journey in Genesis. By grace, God acts over and over again and initiates a relationship with people. You think about what happened after the fall. After Adam and Eve sin, everybody follows in their footsteps. Everyone is born with a sin nature. And, and, and by birth and by choice, sin against God. But then God does what? He comes to people by grace. 
He came to Noah by grace, and, 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 and he said to Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. We talked about Abraham and how Abraham comes from a lineage of pagans. But, but God comes to Abraham and says, I'm, I'm choosing you. He initiates a relationship with Abraham. And he did the same thing with you too. You know that, don't you? There was a point in your life uh, that you were far away from God. You were living for yourself. You were doing your own thing. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that every one of us, before we, were, before we became followers of Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That was every one of us. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, he came to you. It, it might have been through a friend who introduced you to Jesus or you went to a church service like this and you heard a preacher preach about the gospel. Whatever it was, there might have been some circumstances that God used, but God initiated a relationship with you. He came to you by his grace and he opened up your eyes. And, and watch this, he established a covenant with you and the covenant he established with you, you didn't set the parameters for. Let me explain what I mean by that. You think about Abraham. God comes and he initiates a covenant with Abraham and he tells him what's going to happen. And through the course of the story, we've seen where Abraham's tried to change things a little bit. He he says to God in chapter 15, I don't have a kid yet. And so what about my servant Eliezer? How about that, God? And he he comes to, uh, you know, in, in chapter 16, we read that story last week where Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. But God is constantly told Abraham, trust me, follow me, my time, my way, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm setting the parameters for this relationship. I'm God, you're not, I'm going to work this out in my way. And here we are thousands of years later, and this is still how the covenant works in your life as well. You don't call the shots. You don't set the parameters. You don't say to God, okay, that sounds good. I I like that plan, but let me change it just a little bit to, to be more appealing to me. That's not how it works. God sets the parameters for his covenant relationship with you and you trust and you obey. And think about this, it's unconditional. You you see it in the text where where God says to Abraham, I'm making a permanent covenant with you. And you know the story because we've been tracing the story. Abraham's gonna mess it up. He's going to, to have those moments in his life where he fails in his faith, but those failures in his faith do not for one second disqualify him from the privileges of the covenant. And aren't you thankful for that? Because God has made through Christ Jesus an unconditional covenant with you. Because you and I, even though we're followers of Jesus, and even though our sins have been forgiven, we still mess up quite a bit. But God is still faithful to us. It's an unconditional covenant that he's made to you to love you and to to never leave you nor forsake you, to bring you safely home. And so I just want you to see this, that God's covenant is gracious and aren't you thankful? And so when you begin now, church, this is where it gets big for you. I know what I gave you are just some truths about the nature of God's covenant. But when you begin to think about this, that that God's promises to you, they're unconditional. He's gracious towards you. He's initiated this covenant towards you. What this should elicit in you, what this should elicit is a whole lot of praise and thanksgiving. Because this covenant relationship that you enjoy with God, you don't deserve it. And you've done nothing to earn it. It is a gift that has been given to you, you see? And it's guaranteed. 
guaranteed God is faithful to fulfill his covenant promises to you. Some of you know that, that a few months ago we went to New Orleans. Make a long story short, we bought a new car. We've been saving up for a while. We had a minivan, and, and since day one that we bought the minivan, I was waiting to get rid of that thing. But that's another story. And so, so, so we had this minivan, and it was time for a new vehicle. So we'd saved up. We got some help from the government. We got our Biden bucks and our Trump bucks. And so we were loaded up with bucks to go buy a new car. And so I've been wanting a Ford Explorer because in my family, I remember as a kid, my parents had several Ford Explorers. And it just seemed like a good family vehicle. And so I've been watching and seeing if I could find one for just the right price because those things are expensive and I didn't want to pay a lot of money for it. And so finally, after, after saving up money and, and months of, of research and looking, there was one in New Orleans about a, a mile or so away from Stacy's parents' house. And so while we were in New Orleans, we bought this new car. Now, I don't know how many of you bought a new car recently, but cars have changed a lot, right? I mean, some of you, you had like a really old car. You, you know, you drove a, a 75 Plymouth or whatever the case may be. We've come a long way since a 75 Plymouth, haven't we? And so, so, so now when you get in a new car, like you get in and, and there's an iPad right there. Or it looks like an iPad. You've got this big screen. And so you have this, this computer. Back in the old days, some of you had an 8-track. It was real easy to operate. You just pop it in. You push the button. and it, You laugh because you know you had one. And so, so you had these 8-tracks. Or in my day, we had cassette tapes. That, that's a whole other story. But, but anyway, so, so not anymore though, right? You have this computer. And you just touch it. And things happen. And you don't need a CD anymore. It's all connected to the, the satellites and the space aliens. They beam down music to your computer. To your, I mean, it's awesome the way technology works. I'm going to go too long with this story. But, but listen, so here's what happened. I've got this new car and I've got this new computer and the computer stopped. Like I haven't had the car but a few months and it stopped. Like I, I, I'm pressing, I'm beating the screen and, and nothing happens. And so, so I got up early Friday morning to take it because, because the radio doesn't work. I mean, you can't live without a radio. And so, so I went down to the, the dealership and I got in line. I was not in line. I was actually the first person there. As soon as it was, it was open. And I said, hey, here's the problem. I need you to fix it. And the guy said, well, we can get to it next Friday. I said, next, a week, a week without a radio? You know what that means? In the car, I'd actually have to talk to my family. I mean, come on. Who, I, and so, so, so I said, that's not gonna work. I said, why not? He said, you didn't make an appointment. Okay, so I left and I said, I'll go make an appointment somewhere else. And so I, I got home, got my computer and I, I looked at all the different dealerships and no one had any spots for an appointment with the exception of one place down in West Ashley. And so I made a one o'clock appointment for my car. And so I, I made this appointment and I, I left Stacy and the boys at home and I got down there feeling good about life. I'm gonna get this fixed today so I can have my radio playing again. I got down there. I, I waited for the, the service guy to get to me. He said, how can I help you? I said, well, I made an appointment for one o'clock, take my car back, fix it so I can go home, right? And he said to me, we can't get to it till Monday. I said, but, but I made an appointment. The, the guy over in this other place, he said, I didn't have an appointment, so I couldn't get my car. But I, I have, I can show you the email that you sent me. It says appointment confirmed, which he said to me, just because you make an appointment does not guarantee that we can actually fix your car today. Then what's the point of having an appointment? And so, so at any rate, I had read some stuff. I'm, I'm getting too long with the story, but I'd read some stuff on Google about taking the fuse out and this and that. And so I did all that. One thing I did not do was disconnect the battery. I read somewhere if you did that, it would, it would fix it. But because I disconnected the fuse, I read somewhere else. That was all you needed. At any rate, long story short, I said, okay, I'm not leaving my car here this week. Can you get one of your tech guys with one of their fancy tools to come out and quickly disconnect this battery and let's just see if that works? So he agreed. So, so long story short, here comes out this, this technician. 
he's there and he's got his little battery remover tool thing. I don't, you know what they call it. I have no idea. But, but he, he removes the, the things and, and, I, and I have a conversation with him. I said, man, y'all must be really busy because I made an appointment. He said, listen to what he said. You're not gonna believe this. He said, we're not busy at all. We're just sitting back there with nothing to do. I said, you've got to be kidding me. All that to say, you know what it's like to have people who don't keep their word to you. And I'm telling you this, I'm t- church, come in here real close. I'm telling you this, everything that God has guaranteed you is an ironclad guarantee. Give him worship, my friend. Give him praise. You see, but, 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 we, we got to move. I'm around time. God's covenant is gracious, but think about this. God's covenant is not only gracious, there's a sign. Now watch this. This is so interesting. This is where we're going to get bogged down. So help, help me stay accountable because I know you want to go to lunch and I could talk for another hour and you know that. So here, listen to what it says. Verse nine. God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which, are you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a, Underline the phrase, sign of the covenant. Now, what happened in ancient times when there was a covenant relationship that was formed, it it was very common that there would be a a sign or a ceremony that accompanied that covenant. We saw that in Genesis chapter 15. when, When God made this covenant with Abraham, there was this ceremony. You remember that? Where God came and passed through, have carcasses. Or you remember back in Genesis chapter nine, when, when God gave a sign of the covenant to Noah, it was a rainbow. And now here you have Abraham. And God says to Abraham, here's the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Now don't go home, please don't do this. Don't go home and Google circumcision. Please don't do that. But, but, but let, me, let me help you here, right? This was a common ancient practice. We don't know exactly how circumcision originated or, or why they all often did it, but, but we know this was ancient. And so what God does is God takes an, an ancient rite and he gives it significant symbolism. And you got to know, right, that when God says circumcision, that, that Abraham's wondering, why can't I just get a rainbow, right? But, but, but you have this, this, this circum... Sorry. You have this... Rainbows are much better. You, you must circumcise. Now, come on back. Come on back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, sometimes I get carried away. I know. So, so anyway, listen, 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 listen. Circumcision. I mean, Abraham's 99 years old. Circumcision. Take a knife to yourself, Abraham. If you think about the rainbow, now, in all honesty, you think about it, the rainbow was a, a very public sign. I can imagine that, 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 that after the flood, as, as generations reproduce on the earth again, that, that Noah and his children say, look at that rainbow. Everybody look. It's a reminder of God's promise to never destroy the earth again like he did. But this sign is different, obviously. But think about it, right? Think about it. It was private. It was personal. And, and every time Abraham and his, his, his family we're in those moments of, of, of private intimacy, reminded of this covenant that God made. Now, now let's just get a little more detail. Every time Abraham or one of his 
his family members, his household. And, and we don't have time to get into this, but, but, it, but you read the text and it talks about how, how whether they were born into his house or bought into his house, this idea of inclusivity, uh, that, 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 that it wasn't just Hebrews that, that were given this covenant sign. It was anybody in the, the house of Abraham. That's another conversation for another day. But, but, but think about it. In those moments when Abraham was intimate with Sarah or in those moments when somebody in the house of Abraham or the descendants of Abraham were, to, were intimate with their spouse. Just think about it. There was this reminder of the covenant that, that, that God has put a seed within us, that, that, that through us, God is, is, is building a nation. And so this, this, intimate, this, this, this intimate symbol, this, this physical reminder, right, that, that, that God is, is bringing forth a great nation through us. But, but here was the problem. Everybody in his house was circumcised. And you know the story. As you read through the Old Testament, every Hebrew on the eighth day was circumcised after uh, their, their birth everyone. But here's the problem. This circumcision did not guarantee faithfulness. You see, the Hebrews bore the, the, the physical mark of circumcision, but that physical sign of circumcision didn't necessarily mean that that Hebrew was devoted to the God of all creation. It's why you have passages like this. Hang on with me. It's why you have passages like this. Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your hearts, men of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. Otherwise, my wrath will break out like fire and burn with no one to extinguish it because of your evil deeds. Now stop right there. The Hebrew people bore this outward physical sign of the covenant, but something internally had to happen is why God says in places like Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse six, I will circumcise your heart. You come to another place in the Old Testament, you might know this scripture in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is what the Bible says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Again, think about it. These Hebrew people, they, they bore the physical sign of circumcision, this reminder that, that God was making them into a great nation, but that did not guarantee that they would be faithful just because they bore that sign. And so God says, you need a different kind of circumcision, something on the inside. And there's going to come a day when I do a work inside of you. Let me give you one more passage. Then you come over to Romans chapter two. And Paul says this, for a person is not a Jew, who is one outwardly, or in other words, one who bears the mark of circumcision. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. You see, going to the next slide, here's what I want you to see, that God's covenant is gracious, and God's covenant is also sealed with a sign. But that sign of God's covenant in your life, now you've got to get this. The sign of the covenant in your life is not an outward act. It's not a, a physical circumcision, if you will. You think about baptism. Baptism is a beautiful picture of salvation, but it's not the source of our salvation. 
You think about Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is a, is a beautiful picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. But the Lord's Supper is not the source of your salvation. You think about coming to church week in and week out. That's a good thing, right? I want you to be here week in and week out. But coming to church doesn't guarantee faithfulness to the Lord. You see? The new covenant, the covenant that God has made with you, is what? It's, it's, it's inward. That Jesus Christ came. He lived the life you could not live. He died the death that you deserve. He rose on the third day. He ascended to the Father. He sent his spirit who now dwells in you through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to God's everlasting family because God has circumcised your heart. He's done a work inside of you. The sign of the covenant for you as a New Testament believer is the work, the work of the spirit inside of you. You see, this is what's so good for us is that the God of all creation who has entered into a covenant relationship with us, he has come to dwell inside of us, to change us from the inside out, to give us a longing for him, to give us a desire to walk in his ways, to give us a hunger for his presence. Do you see? You see this Old Testament circumcision, it was important. And it's become a, become a source of contention in the New Testament. But this Old, Test, this Old Testament circumcision, it does not do what Jesus Christ has done for you. Do you see? If you're a follower of Jesus, God, praise the Lord, God has done something inside of you. And he's continuing to do something inside of you, changing you and transforming you. And now watch this last truth and we're done. I know it's already noon, but God's covenant is gracious. It's still with a sign and God's covenant. Now watch this, it prompts active faith. Now this is where it gets interesting because in the passage, and I know we've, we've sped through this passage, but think about it. God makes this promise to Abraham. He talks about this covenant with Abraham and he talks about circumcision with Abraham and, and he tells Abraham exactly what's going to happen. In a year, you're gonna have a child, but not with Hagar with your wife, Sarah. And you know what he does, don't you? As soon as Abraham hears that, he, he rolls over laughing. Now, let's not be too critical of Abraham for laughing because, I mean, think about it. He's 99 years old. A child with Sarah? You know how old she is? She's in her late 80s. It's not possible. But, but, but remember who God is. God is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. And God says, no, Abraham, any year, it is going to happen. And then what happens? You know what Abraham does? Now, this is, this is mind-boggling. He's 99 years old. And this 99-year-old man, he takes a knife to himself and to everybody in his household, circumcises now, here's what we know about Abraham, because you've seen this, and I've seen this, and, and, and you think about Abraham's story, it's, it's similar to your story as well. He's got his ups and downs. But, but did you, have you noticed this in Abraham's story? This is so good. When God speaks to Abraham, even though Abraham doesn't get the full picture, even though Abraham doesn't understand all, even though some of it doesn't make sense to Abraham, when God speaks, Abraham acts. Because this is what happens. When you, as a follower of Jesus, when you are confronted with the reality of God and his word, when God speaks to you, how can you do anything else? When the God of all creation reveals himself to you through the power of his spirit and faith in Jesus Christ, how can you do anything else but respond with this act of faith? God, I, I, I don't get it all, but I trust 
and obey. I trust and obey. This is the promise of God. The promise of God to you is that he's going to be faithful to you. He's going to bring you from this life into the next. The promise of God to you is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise of God to you is that you are secure in him. Covenant. How can you not, in light of the covenant promises of God, how can you not trust and obey? How can you, right? How can you live with a closed heart? God, yeah, I just don't want to know you. You can't do that. When you understand the promises of God, you open your heart to him. You can't live with closed hands, saying, God, hands off my life. I'm in charge. No, when God reveals himself to you with these covenant promises, the only response is to open your hands. God, whatever I have is for you. Whatever you want to give me, you give me. Whatever you want to take from me, take from me. I just want to live for you. You can't live with a closed mouth. When you understand the promises of God, you can't live with a closed mouth. You can't help but open your mouth and talk about what God is accomplishing in you through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the promises of God, when you think about it, the promise of God, what they do for the life of the believer, the promises of God elicit active faith. We trust and obey. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. There's a promise for you. The God of all creation, listen to me carefully, the God of all creation wants you to be in a relationship with him. And the God of all creation has done everything necessary to provide a way for you to experience a relationship with himself. The God of promise fulfilled his promise to Abraham by eventually bringing forth a child, not Isaac, but a child named Jesus, who grew up as a sinless man, always obeying the Father, and then went to a cross and died the death that every one of us deserved and rose again three days later to, to, to set us free from the bondage of sin and death and to give us the hope of victory, life abundant and eternal. And the, the promise to you today, my friend, is if you are not a follower of Jesus today, if you'll place your faith and trust in him, if you'll confess your sins to him, if you'll turn your life over to him, the promise to you is what? You'll be his you will enter into an unconditional covenant with God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will give you the gift of life. He will forgive you of all of your sins. He will make you new. He will circumcise your heart. You see? And today, there's someone in this room, there's someone watching online who needs to respond to the promise of God and enter into a covenant relationship with him. So here you go. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never given your life to the one who loves you and gave himself for you, today is your day to experience salvation, to be born again. I would invite you, as we sing this last song, to go to one of these crosses. There'll be someone there who wants to pray with you, to talk with you, and help you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're a follower of Jesus. And this morning... As you've listened to God's word, you've been reminded of his faithfulness and covenant that he's made with you. And maybe this morning, you want to come and gather around front and just pray that God would help you to live with active faith before him in response to his covenant of grace that he's made with you. Maybe you just want to give him praise for what he's done in your life. However God's leading you to respond in these moments, you respond in faith. 
I'll be down front. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. You come as the Spirit of God leads you. If you're watching online and today is your day that you want to give your life to Jesus, you'll see a number appear on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number, and very soon someone will reach out to you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. However, God leads you to respond this morning. You respond to him by faith. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time and your word. Now, Father, help us to respond to your truth. For that man, that woman who's in this room this morning, who's never begun a relationship with Jesus, I pray that person will come now, trusting you as Lord. I pray, Father, for those of us who are followers of yours, you would help us to live in light of your covenant promises, striving to be faithful as we follow the leadership of your spirit, trusting you and obeying you. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we have time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.